ever taken a walk in a cemetery just to enjoy the peace or admire the beauty of the headstones, the sculptures, the statues? Have you ever read a name on a headstone and wondered what their life was like or how they died or why their family chose that particular headstone or wrote that particular epitaph? Have you ever driven past a cemetery during the day or perhaps at night and wondered why it's there? Why did they pick that particular place? Why is this where they chose to put their dead? If you do, or if you ever have, you're probably a lot like me. I'm Liz Clappen, and this is Tomb of the View. For me, growing up in New England, cemeteries were everywhere. And I do mean everywhere. The small town where I grew up had 40 cemeteries. 40 cemeteries in just 28 square miles. The state I grew up in, tiny Rhode Island, had more than 3,000. There were cemeteries on the grounds of both the middle school and the high school in my town. I passed four more cemeteries on the school bus home from school every day. The cemeteries were everywhere. Some of them were very old, with slate headstones that leaned and were covered with weeds. Some of them had old-fashioned vaults. Some were modern and new and shiny with granite headstones. But they were everywhere, and because of that, cemeteries were nothing unusual to me. They weren't something to be afraid of. They weren't something I particularly loved, either. They were just there. They were part of the everyday landscape. And it wasn't until I started to travel to different places that I realized that a lot of places aren't like that. But I also began to realize that there is a cemetery in every city, in every town in America. They don't all look the same. I didn't know why they didn't look the same. It was something that just was there. And I think that's how it is for most people. Until something about cemeteries gets to you. Until something captures your imagination. Now, growing up, I can remember a few incidents where I came across cemeteries that were slightly more exceptional, slightly more frightening, slightly more involved in my everyday life. My grandmother lived across the street from a cemetery, and I can remember when I was very young asking her if she was ever afraid. She had lived next to or across the street from the cemetery for many years, most of her adult life. And she always told me no. To her, it was just like having a park across the street, and it very much was. The tombstones were in the back. You couldn't really see them from where she lived. In the front was a little babbling brook, and we used to take walks there and watch the tadpoles in the spring. In the winter, I would go sledding. There was a big hill, or it looked like a big hill when I was a kid, in the front of the cemetery that went right over the old receiving vault. And I would slide down and try to get my sled to avoid the big pricker bush that was at the bottom. When my mother was a child, she used to ice skate when the stream would overflow in the winter. The cemetery was just there. When my grandmother would order pizza, those were the directions that she would give. She would give her address, and then she would clarify where the house across the street from the cemetery. I can remember one cemetery that scared me. The old Elder Balloon Meeting House Road. 
tells you it's a pretty old one. Now, the Elder Blue Meeting House burned down years ago, but the cemetery was still there, and it had old receiving vaults, these big gaping crypts in the hill. And I can remember driving past it when I was a child to go to my father's office in the next town. And one time he stopped and we got out of the car, and I remember being terrified of these big gaping holes in the hillside and the darkness within them. I can remember my grandparents renting a house when I was a kid, maybe from about the age of 7 to 10. They rented a house on Waterman Lake in western Rhode Island. It was right next to Gloucester Country Club, where my father played golf. And at the top of the hill, there was a little lot. And I remember I used to be afraid to sleep in the back bedroom because it was the one that was closest to the cemetery, even though the cemetery was really nowhere near it. It just seemed strange to have a cemetery so close to the house, even though I was used to them. But then I can remember going up there one day when my aunts and uncles all came to visit, and my cousin Madeline, who was maybe about four at the time, she actually crashed into a headstone and knocked it over. It was an old headstone. It probably was already damaged. Um, I should probably see somebody about doing something about that if it hasn't been restored already in the last 25 years. But these were fleeting moments. They're moments I remember now because I spend a lot of time thinking about cemeteries. But in general, they weren't defining moments of my life. They weren't things that I thought about a lot. Sure, I went to cemeteries for funerals. And I went to a lot of them over the years. Family, friends, lots of different cemeteries. Lots of Catholic cemeteries. Rhode Island is the most Catholic state in the United States. And the Catholic cemeteries were new, and they looked very different than the historic cemeteries I was used to near where I grew up. But at the end of the day, I didn't think about them much. They were just something that was there. Until one New Year's Day. I was in college. It was probably 2007, if I had to guess. And I had gone into Providence. I grew up maybe 15 minutes north of Providence, And I don't remember now why I had gone into Providence. I might have visited my great aunt who lived right on the border between Pawtucket and Providence. I might have gone to a restaurant. I, I don't really remember. But on the way back, it was snowing just lightly. And I pulled into Swan Point Cemetery on Blackstone Boulevard in Providence. It's right on the edge. It basically straddles the edge of Providence of Pawtucket. It's right on the Seekonk River. And I knew I had heard about it. And so I was kind of curious. I happened to be driving past and I saw the sign and I figured I might as well take a look. And it was magical. It's the type of snow that is light and fluffy. It looks like lace. It's not too cold. You don't get that kind of snow when it's too cold. So it wasn't frigid, and it just created this magical, beautiful atmosphere. And I drove for what felt like hours through the winding roads of the cemetery as the snow blanketed the landscape and turned everything white. And I stopped and got out of my car at the big lake in the center and watched the snow fall all around it on the bare trees, and I was enchanted. 
I had never been there before. I had never seen it before. But it was oddly compelling. And it was the type of cemetery I had never really spent time in. It was a Victorian rural garden cemetery with hills and dales and beautiful marble monuments, massive sculptures, breathtaking views over the river, bronze sculpture, beautiful Gothic revival buildings. Even the cemetery across the street from my grandmother's house, which was technically a rural garden cemetery, it had a little wooden caretaker's cottage, which was cute, but it wasn't anything like this. It seemed very mundane in comparison, and I saw this, and I had never seen anything like it. I was enchanted in every way possible. Now, at the time, as a college student, I was actually taking a class that semester on the history of Rhode Island. And so when it came time to pick our topic for our term paper, I chose Swan Point Cemetery because I had to know more. And I was lucky enough that they had done some work for the 150th anniversary where a small little booklet had been written and they had a walking tour that had photographs and things like that. But as I started to do research, it wasn't easy. There were small amounts that had been written about cemeteries, but a lot of the information was the same. A lot of it was kind of regurgitated. There was not a lot of writing about how this place that was so remarkable fit into the bigger picture of the story of cemeteries, which of course, as you're writing a term paper, is kind of what you want to do. So I remember dragging a friend of mine on a little road trip up to see Mount Auburn in Cambridge, Massachusetts, because everything that I read about cemeteries said it all started with Mount Auburn. And we got lost on the way, and by the time we got there, it was almost dark. So I didn't see as much of the cemetery, and I remember us walking back to our cars in the absolute pitch black, probably in February or March in New England. And I remember it being rather terrifying, not just because it's a cemetery at night, but also because the winding roads and the frequent water features, you could roll down a hill and end up in a lake which is not where you want to be in March in New England. But I saw it, and the more I saw, the more intrigued I became, and the more I wanted to know. But it wasn't my job. I was a teacher. I graduated from college, and I became a teacher, and I taught math and science, and that doesn't have a whole lot to do with cemeteries. It was one of those things that when I was on vacation, sometimes if there was an interesting cemetery, I would stop off and take a look, or I would have a hard time resisting the temptation to check out a local cemetery, even near where I worked. But I was a teacher, and I worked long hours, and I was grading papers and writing lesson plans, and I had other things going on. But that all changed. (laughs) The town where I worked didn't get a bond referendum, and every teacher that had been hired in the last five years got laid off. And so suddenly I found myself without a job, and there were lots of teachers who had more experience than me who were on the job market, and so I couldn't find a job to save my life. So I did something radical and decided to go to graduate school, which is how I ended up in Savannah. Now, I'm telling all of this because 
If you've gotten this far, and if you are listening to this podcast, you probably wonder, why should I listen to anything that she has to say about cemeteries? And to be fair, nothing up until this point really could convince you otherwise. Sure, I come from a place with lots of cemeteries. Lots of people do. Does that mean any of them are more qualified than me? Probably not. But I went to Savannah, and I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, and one of the reasons that I had been drawn to Savannah was, as many people, I was enchanted by the book. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, I had read it, and I fell in love with the moonlight and the magnolia and, of course, Bonaventure Cemetery. And it was one of the first things that I did when I visited, even before I flew down there and accepted my place at SCAD, was I went there and I went to Bonaventure. And the first thing I noticed was how different it was than Mont Auburn, than Swan Point. It looked a little shabby in comparison, but I didn't understand why, and I wanted to. Because certainly it was famous. Arguably, outside of New Orleans, more people visit Savannah Fert cemeteries than anywhere else. And so I wanted to know why. And so I packed my bags and I moved to Savannah. And I fell in love with its cemeteries, not just Bonaventure. In fact, Bonaventure probably now is the least interesting to me. But Laurel Grove, both north, the white side and the south side, the black cemetery, Colonial Park, their early cemetery, and comparing it to what I had seen in New England. I was still teaching. I got a job teaching while I went to graduate school, and I studied architectural history. And when I told my professors that I wanted the topic of my thesis to be cemeteries, I got a lot of laughter. Because it's not really architectural history, is it? It's maybe sculpture. It's maybe landscape architecture. But is it really architectural history? And I gave them the argument that had been circling in my brain for years. There's a cemetery in every city, in every town in the United States. Arguably, they are more common than post offices, more common than schools in some places. But there's so little scholarship. Because what I started to find as I went through the process of writing a thesis, which if, you writ if you've written a thesis, you know this. It's not just writing the thesis. It's doing the historiography, reading all of the books that are out there, understanding the methodology. How are you going to tell this story? How are you going to research it? And the same problems that I had had back in 2007 when I was writing that term paper were still there. There was a little bit more out there. My professors helped point me in the right direction. But still, it was something that not a lot of people knew about, and even less people were talking about. So I wrote my thesis, and everybody got a good laugh because they said I would never get a job in this. I wrote it, and it was interesting. I wrote about Swan Point, and I wrote about why I thought it was different, and why I thought it was significant, and why the choices that they had made had helped that cemetery survive when many others had been lost. And it was an interesting idea. And people nodded their heads, and I passed, and I went on my way. Then I went back to teaching for a year, because I didn't have a job yet. And I was in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was not a fun year for me. I didn't enjoy teaching, I had very few friends, and I had a lot of time on my hands, so I thought a lot about cemeteries. 
And I visited quite a few when I could afford the gas to do it because I was pretty broke as well. But most importantly, one day I sat down and I looked to see if there was anything out there for people who were interested in cemeteries. And that's when I came across the Association for Gravestone Studies, AGS. And I saw that they were having a conference. And that year it was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I sat down and I thought about the fact that there was a whole conference of people who were interested in cemeteries. And I thought all about all the laughter and all the people who argued that cemeteries weren't a really smart thing to research because who cared? So I started to do some research and I submitted a paper proposal. Now, when I was at SCAD, we had the option of doing a field internship where you went out and you worked for an organization. And I went and I worked for the municipal archives. And what I had been given the task of doing was surveying Laurel Grove South Cemetery, a large African-American cemetery that had been segregated since its founding. And I was surveying a particular type of concrete marker. So handmade headstones made out of cement or concrete. And I had surveyed them. And there was arguably one of the largest collections in the American Southeast. And so I had done this, spending lots of hot and sweaty days out there doing it. And I was fascinated by it. And I was like, this is a pretty unique topic. And so I decided to write a paper on it and present it at AGS. And boy, what I discovered was, guess what? It wasn't that special. And that's not to downplay the significance because the markers at Laurel Grove South are very significant. But what I discovered was that there were other concrete markers other places. And the people who were talking about them were at the Association for Gravestone Studies. They knew. All of the questions that I had asked when I first started doing the research, these people knew. They had been out there and they had been doing the research for almost 50 years, since the 70s, when they first started this organization. And suddenly this opened up a whole world to me, where there were people like me. And I still felt very much as an outsider, but I met not just people who had been doing this since the 70s, but I met a lot of young people too. People with diverse backgrounds, with diverse interests. Some of them worked in cemeteries. Some of them didn't. Some of them were researchers. Some of them were theologians. Some of them were art historians. But all of these people shared a common interest in cemeteries and the way that they shape our society. Culturally, artistically, preservation, all of these things. Anybody that's ever found their niche knows just how mind-blowing that can be. Now, not long after this, I finally got a job in my field. I took a job as an architectural historian. As an architectural historian, I was doing federal compliance work, which called Section 106 work. Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act requires that any project which uses federal money first has to consider the impact to historic resources. So I did a lot of survey work. I wrote a lot of reports. And occasionally I got to write about cemeteries. And it was fascinating because I found out that the people who were supposedly in the know, state historic preservation officers, the people who were reviewing my documents, they didn't know anything about cemeteries. They had read maybe a paragraph in a book because what I discovered was that in the preservation field, nobody was talking about cemeteries either. And so what I kept finding was that there was this one organization out there. Everybody else who wrote stories about cemeteries, they, they were a niche topic. There was something unusual. 
Maybe, mate, you were a little kooky, a little spooky. You were the fox molder of the academians. But it didn't necessarily mean that you had a serious interest. But the fact was, out in the world, there were. There were dozens of Facebook groups and Instagram groups and all of these people who were interested in cemeteries that didn't have a place to land. So in the back of my mind, I kept saying, there has to be a place that people can go. Not necessarily an organization that you have to pay money to belong to. Not necessarily a place where you have to be able to write academic articles, but someplace else. Someplace that's accessible to everyone, that gives good, solid information that's accurate, but isn't necessarily an academic organization. We need something else. And that's why I started a podcast. Because podcasts, at least in my experience, were one of the major ways that people consume news. Newspapers and many other forms of print media have gone out of favor Academic journals, which I'm not going to lie, I read academic journals, but I know the majority of people don't. If you are interested in something, and I know I am certainly that way, you're going to go to YouTube. You're going to go to a podcast. Now, in the time since then, I have gotten much more deeply involved in the cemetery world. I'm now on the board of the Association for Gravestone Studies. I have written several dozen articles about cemeteries in looking at them in all aspects. I have met friends. The majority of my friends work in the cemetery field in all sorts of varieties. And yes, that has become my specialization in architectural history. And I have a job where I focus on cemeteries now. And it's something that when I got laughed at in graduate school and people said that there wasn't a career, and I said, how is it possible that there isn't a career? When? There's a cemetery in every city and every town. I was right. I'm not saying that we're all the way there. But my goal with Tomb with a View is to do a couple of things. First of all, it's to make a podcast where things are accessible and knowledge is out there for anybody who is interested in learning. Second, to draw attention to what makes cemeteries, specifically American cemeteries, unique in terms of their design, in terms of their planning, in terms of their management. And some of this is something that hasn't happened. Previously, there's a lot written about the early cemeteries. And even in AGS, I often have the criticism that, like, I'm I'm done with colonial cemeteries. I feel like our history has been very much dictated by what people wanted to hear. It always used to drive me nuts that I covered the American Revolution 15 times in American history but I never got past the year 1900 because we always started back at the beginning. And gravestone scholarship, you'll hear me say this again and again, is very similar. There's a lot of focus on 1600 to 1850 and virtually nothing on the modern era. And that's not to say that there isn't cool stuff going on even today in cemeteries. So I wanted to have something that explored the full range Not just what historically was popular, not just what's been done a hundred times before, but everything. I wanted something that was going to take cemeteries beyond just cemeteries, to look at memorialization, to look at how cemeteries are viewed in culture, to look about how cemeteries are changing with the rise of cremation and other alternatives like green burial, like aquamation. I wanted to consider, most importantly, 
what cemeteries mean to us as a central aspect of our American landscape. Now, at the time of starting this podcast in 2019, there is one other cemetery podcast out there, and it's from Canada. As far as I can tell, it's actually now defunct. They haven't posted any episodes in a while. This is a very different type of podcast. Now, there are a lot of cemetery podcasts out there. Some explore stories of people who are buried in cemeteries. Some focus on ghost stories. That's one thing I can promise you that this this will never do. (laughs) I'm not interested in ghost stories. And it's not that there's any, I have anything against ghost stories. It's just, I think that real stories are way more interesting. So I can promise you that every week I'm going to find something interesting to talk to you about. Whether it's the materials in cemeteries, whether it's the way that cemeteries are planned, whether it's the people who run them, whether it's the people who continue to preserve and run them, whether it's interesting stories or fascinating cemeteries that have changed our landscape, I'm going to find something interesting. Because I think there's a lot of people out there, just like me, who want to know more. And for whatever reason, they haven't had the opportunity. I'm not going to say that I am the foremost expert on American cemeteries because I'm not. I am often in awe of the people I especially work with at the Association for Gravestone Studies, some of whom have been doing this for 50 years. But for somebody of my age and education, I know a lot and I've seen a lot. And I'm also always willing to learn more. So as an architectural historian who specializes in historic cemeteries, their history, and their preservation, hopefully you'll come along on this journey with me. Hopefully you'll share my passion and enthusiasm for cemeteries. And moving forward, you'll maybe learn a few things that you didn't know before. Maybe it'll encourage you on your next vacation to stop the car and get out and take a walk around. Because, as William Gladstone said, you can tell a lot about a society by the way they treat their dead. And I truly believe that, both in the past and both today. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing a comprehensive history of American cemeteries, where I look at their stories, where I look at their background, where I kind of trace the history of how we as a group of immigrants here in the United States came together and started certain trends, and how those trends reflected the growing American culture. Beyond that, I'll explore week by week. In addition to the podcast, I'm also going to have a presence on social media. You can find me at Tomb of the View Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to get a hold of me and the podcast for any reason, Tomb of the View Podcast at gmail.com. Working on a website and getting that up to have some resources that go along with the information. Overall, I'm excited. Cemeteries are some of my favorite places, and I think that they tell stories that you can't find anywhere else. And I hope you're just as enthusiastic as I am. But for now, I'm Liz Clappen, and this is Tomb of the View.